This episode of the Teacher Wellbeing Podcast is sponsored by Katrina Burke Coaching, helping caring professionals create a life of balance and flow. Katrina has a range of programs available for teachers and school leaders. So for more information, go to katrinaburkecoaching.com.au. This is the Teacher Wellbeing Podcast, a weekly show to help you prioritize your health, happiness and well-being so that you can thrive in the classroom and in life. I'm your host, Ellen Ronalds Keane. Enjoy the podcast. Hi, everybody, and welcome back to the Teacher Wellbeing Podcast. I'm really excited that we are here back with season four and today I'm going to talk about seven ways to stop the self-care guilt trip in its tracks because I know that guilt is a big issue, uh, especially for teachers who are wanting to look after themselves but when they they find that when they start to try and incorporate more self-care in their life, they start to feel guilty. So we're going to talk about that today. But first, being the first episode of season four, I thought it was time to catch up a bit on what's happened since season three and do a few updates and announcements. So very excitingly, uh, in the last month in July, Self Care for Teachers turned three, which is cool. It's a little hard for me to believe that it's turned three because feels like yesterday that I was standing between the tectonic plates in Iceland on my honeymoon uh, thinking about self-care for teachers and, and kind of, you know, heartstorming, envisioning what I would love it to turn into. And we're not 100% to that vision yet, but it's come a long way. And so I'm really excited about that. And I'm really excited that the Teacher Wellbeing Podcast has uh, returned for season four. And I really, really, really want to give a big shout out to my Patreon supporters, Kirsty and Jane, and also all the people that have left reviews on uh, Apple Podcasts. And of course, to my sponsors from the last couple of seasons, so particularly Katrina Burke Coaching and Daniela Falecki from Teacher Wellbeing, because really season four would not be back on your airwaves without them. Uh, Podcasts are free to listen to, but they are not free to make. So I really, truly appreciate all the support these special people give uh, to keep this lovely podcast going. And this season, good news for those of you who are Android listeners, we are also now not only available on Apple Podcasts and the website, but if you have an Android device, you can also listen to the Teacher Wellbeing Podcast on Spotify Google Podcasts, and by the time this goes to air, hopefully the Stitch app as well. So that's pretty cool, and uh, it's only taken me three seasons to get that up and running. Uh, Also, as a new thing for season four, I have some new support for the podcast. If you like listening to podcasts, then I think it's a really safe bet that, like me, you will be a big fan of audiobooks. And the best place on the internet, in my opinion, for audiobooks is audible.com. So today's podcast is actually brought to you by Audible, and you can get a free audiobook download and a 30-day free trial at www.audibletrial.com forward slash teacher wellbeing. 
And there are over 180,000 titles to choose from. And you can listen on your iPhone, your Android, your Kindle, or your MP3 player. And like I said, for you, the listeners of the Teacher Wellbeing Podcast, Audible is offering a free audiobook download with a free 30-day trial to give you the opportunity to check out their service. And I personally recommend Audible. I mean, you know, disclaimer, obviously, that that is a uh, sponsored link, but uh, I have been a member of Audible for a decade now. I was a very early adopter of podcasts and it was, uh, I think it was probably Grammar Girl back in about 2008 that uh, I first got my Audible trial from and I have absolutely loved it. So my uh, recommendation, my book recommendation for you this week, since we are talking about uncomfortable emotions of guilt, particularly this week, but there are many uncomfortable emotions, and Brene Brown is the queen of really diving into some of these emotions that make us feel really vulnerable. Very, very powerful stuff. She is a shame researcher, but the book that I would recommend you start with, and it's on Audible, is The Gifts of Imperfection. Really, really beautiful and powerful book. Changed my life. So you can download that one or you can pick another audiobook completely free by trying audible.com. And as I said, go to get your free audiobook today at audibletrial.com forward slash teacher wellbeing. Okay, back to the updates. So I've had a couple of media features in the last couple of months since the uh, last season, which is very exciting. Uh, I was featured in the Body and Soul lift out of the Sunday Mail and other Sunday newspapers around the country in July for my thyroid, you know, talking about my thyroid cancer story and trying to raise awareness about thyroid cancer and the symptoms. And so if you have a lump in the front of your throat or you have unexplained voice changes, then highly, highly recommend going to your doctor and getting that checked out because you never know. You want to be better to be safe than sorry. Go and get it checked to make sure that your thyroid is all good and healthy. So that was the Body and Soul article, which was very, um, made me feel a little bit vulnerable to, to put that out there. That's um, obviously a huge part of my story was, was that health journey. But um, also recently in uh, the ABC online, um, I was part of a feature about teacher stress and self-care. I'm really, you know, I'm really wary of soundbite uh, tips and tricks and things that can come across as quite condescending in a, in a short um, article, you know, like just work less or just sleep more. Yeah. As if it's that easy. But anyway, I'll pop the link to the show notes for you to read that article because it does have some great tips and they're not all from me. And yeah, I, I am really pleased to be able to contribute some of what I have learned in my own personal experience and, and working with teachers, what actually does help. Uh, so I'll put the links in the show notes, which you'll be able to find at selfcareforteachers.com.au forward slash podcast. And the other uh, place I've been featured recently is in the Teachers Thriving magazine. And you might remember that I interviewed Trudy in season three. So Trudy is the creator of Teachers Thriving, which is a lovely lifestyle magazine for teachers. And the winter issue has just, uh, you know, just in, in July been released. So you can grab a copy of that. Go to teacherthriving.com. And it's all about work-life balance. And it's like I said, specifically for teachers, and it's it's a lifestyle magazine, similar kind of ethos to the Teacher Wellbeing podcast, where we're focusing on your life as a person, other than just your professional, you know, experiences as a teacher. So check that out, and um, and I was glad to write an article for that magazine this time. Um, a few other updates. So uh, 
I have released a little self-care planner, a little one-page weekly planner that I use every week. I use that to to kind of plan my week and make sure that my self-care is the top of my priority list. Uh, And it's on Teachers Pay Teachers. So if you go to Teachers Pay Teachers and search for self-care for teachers, you'll be able to find it. There's a monthly one coming soon as well and a quarterly one. Um, and I'll give a little bit more info about that in future podcasts. So that's on Teachers Pay Teachers, which is cool. And also the survey. So in June, I ran a survey of Australian teachers about their health and well-being. And it's, it's you know, the second time I've run a survey for self-care for teachers. And this is a much more expanded version than last year. But I was absolutely overwhelmed with the response. So much so uh, that as a, you know, as a one woman show working on my own part time on self-care for teachers, it's actually taken me a lot longer to get through the results than I wanted. I wanted to put the the report out in July, but, you know, we'll get there. Anyway, it is coming. It is on the way. So I had 287 people respond to the survey, which was just phenomenal. And um I'm working through it. Um, I'm, I'm putting together the report. So hopefully in the next month we will, I will be finally finished and, and ready to put that out into, into the world in a, in a manner that is um, professional and also protects people's privacy because that's extremely important to me. So watch that space. And the final little update I want to give you is that I can't believe it, but it's August already, which means we are way into term three, which is a very big term. And every year I run a 30-day challenge in self-care September. So it's a um, basically challenge to try and include more self-care in your life, particularly at that really busy end of term. I know that it's the end of term three. I know that's super busy. And that's also the time that, you know, when you're busy, most people's self-care goes to the bottom of their priority list because it's so easy to think that, oh, I'll skimp on sleep tonight because I must get the report cards done. Or, oh, I'll skip gym for two weeks uh, until the holidays are here because I, you know, I just don't have time for it. And and the problem with that kind of thinking is that we're going to talk about more of the barriers of self-care, but the problem with that kind of thinking is that it's, it's, it's very short term. It may work tonight, you know, it might work this week, but you can't keep that up over the long term and stay well because when you're always prioritizing something other than your health and well-being, then, you know, there is a cost to that and it does impact your productivity. So all the extra work that you've got to do then takes longer and is harder, etc., etc. So the Self-Care September Challenge is just a way to kind of try and make sure you're getting at least 15 minutes of self-care every day. doesn't have to be hugely, you know, onerous. It might be simply taking 15 minutes to turn off your computer before bed, or it might be 15 minutes in the morning. It could be three, five minute blocks throughout the day. Lots and lots to um, explore there. It's also a way to really play around with what works for you. And so that starts on the 1st of September through to the 30th of September. There is a webinar. I'm putting on a webinar to explain some of the barriers of self-care so that we can actually really talk about what might come up for you in that process of of trying to prioritize your self-care every single day for a month. Uh, and that webinar is on the 1st of September at 10 a.m. Australian Eastern Standard Time. And so you can go to www.selfcareforteachers.com.au forward slash September to sign up for the webinar and also the extra information about the 30-day challenge. Teachers get a lot of holidays, but they also go on a lot of guilt trips. Uh, And it's something that I think about, you know, have thought about a lot from my own experience. 
but it's also something I talk to teachers about quite a lot and also non-teachers because we're not the only ones that experience this, by the way. I think it kind of goes with the self-care territory. It's Like I said earlier, it's one of the biggest barriers to self-care and that guilt that often arises within us when we start to put our own needs first, you know, there are some things we can do. So let's talk about the seven ways to stop the self-care guilt trip in its tracks. Number one, if you feel guilty when you look after yourself, congratulations, you are not a psychopath. <laughs> it means you care about others. So if you can just even remind yourself of that, that's a good thing, right? Psychopaths don't actually feel any empathy or or care for other human beings. Somewhere along the lines, though, most of us have internalized the idea that treating ourselves well means we're treating others poorly. And that's just not true. Those two things are not equal, right? And actually, the sentiment is quite the opposite. You know, the idea of self-care is not about entitlement or greed or getting yours before somebody else can get theirs. It's actually one about the integrity of the self, so self-care actually is about recognizing that everybody has needs, but it's also about recognizing that your own needs matter as much as other people's needs, and we can meet them for ourselves rather than relying on others to meet them for us. Now, again, if we think that, you know, if you're feeling guilt, that means you're not a psychopath, because usually a psychopath is thinking only about their own needs and they never think about anybody else. So if you're thinking, if you start to feel guilty, that probably means that you do care about other people and therefore you do not want them to be hurt or upset or whatever. But just remember that just because you are looking after yourself, that does not equal other people are damaged in some way or neglected or hurt. The next thing is to really pay attention to your difficult and uncomfortable emotions because they're sending messages. Guilt is not the only difficult emotion that we experience. There's many and, and just about all of them are barriers to self-care. But many of us are so distracted all the time, whether by our devices or work, obviously, but also our leisure activities that are often ways to kind of escape, which we all need a bit of. But sometimes, you know, we can do so much of that, that we actually are able to either avoid our uncomfortable emotions or perhaps subconsciously we're actually using that constant distraction as a way to kind of numb ourselves of those difficult emotions which actually pretty much ensures that you're stuck with them. Of course there's a time and a place to really be able to be safe to deal with those emotions and check in with yourself and, and, and experience that but if we spend all our time avoiding those messages that our body is sending us then we can't actually do anything with it. We can't actually make any changes or work through those emotions so that we can um, no longer experiencing, experience them in such a way that inhibits and limits our life. So I really want you to pay attention to your guilt and to your other uncomfortable emotions. You know, even if it's just to schedule 10 minutes a week to check in with yourself and ask yourself where you are feeling guilty and why. That's very powerful. I know it sounds weird, but so many of us run away from our, our sense of guilt. As you know, It'll come up when we start to look after ourselves and we're so uncomfortable. It is a yucky feeling. We're so uncomfortable in that feeling that we stop whatever we're doing that is uh, maybe good for us in the long run, but it's causing a little bit of short-term 
guilt happening right now and we don't want to feel that guilt so we stop doing the thing that's really good for us. So pay attention to that. Just just notice it. Don't don't judge yourself for it. We all do it and there are times where it's a really healthy response to just, you know, maybe you're not safe right now to deal with it. Maybe you're just exhausted and you do actually just need to kind of escape for the weekend, watch some Netflix. But if you're always doing that forever, that's where it starts to become counterproductive. So just have some self-compassion for yourself and, and observe that going on. The next step is to understand that there is healthy guilt and unhealthy guilt, and they are not the same thing, right? Healthy guilt is normal and natural and a really wonderful, productive emotion. It's what keeps human society uh, as as far as possible, um, you know, functioning and, and keeping us having good relationships, you know, healthy relationships. If you feel guilty because you have done something wrong to another person, that's really important because it it means that you will hopefully not do that again. That is healthy guilt. If you have actually wronged somebody, you know, and you legitimately owe them an apology, that is healthy guilt. And it is not comfortable either. It is very uncomfortable, but it's natural and it comes from a place, it, you know, it's, it's correct, if that makes sense. It's correct to feel guilt in that instance because, you know, you're in the wrong. But then there's unhealthy guilt or what's called false guilt. Psychologists call it false guilt. And it's not the same as that productive, healthy emotion. False guilt is really what we're talking about here in the self-care conversation. False guilt is when you actually haven't done anything wrong. Either the guilt you're feeling is kind of an amorphous blob and there's kind of no one person that you feel you owe an apology to because, again, you haven't done anything wrong and it's just a generalised sense of guilt. Or it's guilt that you might feel, for example, something very common for teachers to feel guilty that they didn't spend that extra, you know, hour after dinner finalising some worksheet or some teaching resource for their students at school the next day and they feel guilty that they did something for themselves in that hour instead of taking that teaching resource from 80% to 99% perfect and so they feel guilty and like they have let their students down so there is an object of that guilt or subject but again they haven't you haven't actually done anything wrong so I hope you can kind of feel the difference between the two and it's the it's the false guilt that we really need to be aware of in this self-care conversation because it's the barrier to self-care And it's also, we can't be aware, we can't, if we don't take that time to actually stop and pay attention to our guilt, we can't know whether what we're experiencing is the healthy kind of guilt where we do owe somebody an apology or it's that false guilt where we've actually done nothing wrong. Okay, so healthy guilt versus false guilt. And the next thing that I want you to be aware of is that guilt is a very uncomfortable emotion. So is resentment. And guilt and resentment are siblings. They are usually the the opposite sides of the same coin. And I think it's very important that we pay attention to that because most often it's the false guilt that comes up on the opposite side of the coin of resentment. And what I mean by that is that situations that produce the false guilt are usually situations where we have a choice and we've chosen to do something that's right for us and we're, you know, somehow worried that it might be wrong for somebody else or that we've done something wrong, even though we haven't. 
But if we had not made that choice, the choice that was creating that false guilt in us, if we had made the other choice, if we were to use that teaching resource example, maybe stopping at the 80% mark, 80% is good enough, now I'm going to stop and spend an extra hour on my own health and well-being tonight or spending it with my family tonight before bed. If we made the other choice where we went, no, look, I'll, I'll keep plugging away at this thing and you know try and take it from 80% to 99% perfect and we spend that extra hour, hour and a half before bed on the teaching resource, what we might find that we feel then instead of guilt is resentment. And resentment is very dangerous because it is toxic to relationships. It's toxic to our joy in life, but it's also toxic to our relationships. Guilt, the healthy kind, comes about when we have uh, a relationship that has we have somehow caused somebody wrong and we need to apologize. And that's healthy to relationships because it means hopefully that we apologize and we make amends. The false guilt is uh, not real, right? So that's a different thing. And then resentment is toxic to relationships because it usually goes unacknowledged and it usually springs about it's not the case that the other person has necessarily done anything wrong. We have made a decision. Perhaps our boundaries are lacking. Perhaps we agreed to something that we thought we could manage, but turns out it's going to be a huge stretch. And or we were running away from the sense of false guilt that we would feel if we made the choice that was right for us. So we made the choice that wasn't right for us. And then we resent the people, the other people involved or just life in general, you know, resent the system for causing us to be in this situation when in fact we made a choice there. And again, this goes back to that paying attention to your difficult emotions because when we are stuck in that pattern of martyring ourselves to everybody around us or, you know, the students in our classroom or martyring ourselves to the education system, when we are overgiving to the point of resentment, we can't really do anything about improving that situation other than making a different choice, which is, again, likely to result in the false guilt. Sometimes that martyring comes about because it feeds our ego. You know, it's nice to be the only one who can manage or the only one who can do it right or the only one who's willing to go the extra mile. And, and that's a very common pattern in teachers. But sometimes and, and very common that resentment comes about because we have been conditioned by society, particularly women and particularly teaching, which is a, help, a helping profession, conditioned by society to put other people's needs first. And although it's very common, it's not healthy. And when we ignore our own needs because, you know, we're afraid of feeling guilty, what often comes up in the end is resentment because our body knows what it needs and it sends us messages of resentment, of anger, of frustration when it is saying, this is not fair, I need something here and nobody is listening to me. And the person that's not listening quite likely is you. So again, it goes back to taking that time to listen to the messages that your body is sending you, that your emotions are sending you, even if they come in the form of really uncomfortable emotions, because then we can make a new choice. Okay, so the next thing that we need to do is also examine our own limiting beliefs about self-care. So as I said, that false guilt is often a really um, strong barrier to people practicing self-care. And it's important 
to acknowledge that. It's also important to look at what you believe about self-care because you might find that you have some limiting beliefs. For example, it's very common for us to have a subconscious, you know, limiting belief that self-care is selfish and we don't want to be selfish people, so we don't practice self-care. It's also really common to think that self-care, you know, to have this underlying limiting belief that self-care is, you know, overindulgent. It's self-indulgent. It's therefore an optional extra, but it's not really. It's fitting your oxygen mask before helping others. So we have to we have to be aware of those limiting beliefs before we can challenge them. And that's something that you can do a really a lovely journaling activity activity around where you sit down and you write self-care is and you finish that sentence and you do it over and over and over again and you will be surprised what comes up. It's also an activity that we often do in coaching because it helps us uncover what's really going on under the surface that is, you know, driving some of our behaviors and our decisions. The next thing you need to examine is your conditioning. And and I mean this by, you know, the, the, the rules that you kind of grew up with and that, that you are probably not aware of. And particularly we know that uh, girls are conditioned differently to boys. You know, this is pretty common knowledge that the messages boys get, like boys don't cry and um, harden up, are very different to the messages girls get about emotions. And so if you're a woman, you have the advantage generally that you're, you've been allowed to look at your emotions. If you're a man, you might find this is um, even more difficult or might take a little bit more time to, to work through because you might be a little bit further away from your emotions because you've been conditioned not to feel them your whole life. Um, just by society, right? It's not about placing br- blame on your parents. It's just to go, yeah, this is this is a message that our society sends. And the other message that our society sends is that it's not okay to make other people uncomfortable and looking after you is selfish and will make other people uncomfortable. Therefore, you shouldn't do it. So it's important to examine that and examine that conditioning. And to make matters worse, our education system, our media and the political climate that surrounds education is full of messages that confirm that teachers are not doing enough, which then makes us kind of, you know, that conditions us to believe that we must do more in order to be enough. And if we're not doing more, if we're not working all the time, if we're not getting amazing, perfect results in our students, if, you know, we haven't got all the paperwork done completely perfectly, then we're not allowed to look after ourselves because we are not enough. But you are enough. You are worthy of your own care. And if we don't stop to challenge those messages, even of our own minds, that the media and, you know, the education system and society and the political climate that surrounds education, if we don't stop to challenge those messages, we are in danger of believing that we are not deserving of our own care until some external factor happens, you know, until the assessment results improve, until we get our paperwork perfect, until we save every student, until school holidays, you know. And if we wait, if we do that, if we wait until, we might be waiting forever or at least, you know, 10 weeks (laughs) and then we only get to look after ourselves for two weeks and then we're back to ignoring our needs again for another 10. So it's important to examine the conditioning that we've had from society and the culture that we're in, because maybe the school you're in or the, the colleagues you surround yourself with also have a bit of a, a culture of self-sacrifice and martyrdom and resentment of the system, but we do it anyway because that's what makes us a good teacher. There is a bit of that that can go around. And if we don't stop to kind of question it 
and just challenge those messages in our own minds, you know, it can be a barrier to our self-care. And the last, you know, the last point of that, this is a wonderful quote from the author Harriet Lerner, who has written a range of amazing books, but this one's from The Dance of Anger, and it says, if we feel guilty about not giving enough or not doing enough for others, it's unlikely we will be angry about not getting enough. If we feel guilty that we are not properly fulfilling our prescribed feminine role, we will have neither the energy nor the insight to question the prescription itself or who has done the prescribing. Now, she's talking about dynamics within relationships, but the sentiment applies equally well to our roles as teachers in the modern society. So simply replace the word feminine with teaching and it's spot on. Let me read it again. If we feel guilty that we are not properly fulfilling our prescribed teacher role, we will have neither the energy nor the insight to question the prescription itself or who has done the prescribing. So who has prescribed this kind of perfect teacher role that has us thinking that if we are not perfect, if we are not overgiving to the point of resentment, if we are not um, spending all of our free time on school, if we allow ourselves a night off or a weekend off or to, you know, exercise every day and eat amazing food and not be grumpy with the system, that therefore we're not a good teacher. Who in your life or just in society in general, where are you getting that message and can you challenge it? If you don't stop to pay attention to it, it might never change. But when you do pay attention to it, you can switch your focus and redirect your thoughts. If we stay focused, which is the next point, right? If we stay focused on where things are out of our control and where we are somehow falling short, it's all on us, then that keeps us stuck in the patterns that decrease our health and happiness and well-being, not to mention that decrease our work satisfaction and effectiveness in the long term. But when we focus on all the ways that we are enough, and my goodness, teachers, you are enough, when we look after ourselves deliberately and defiantly, it actually opens up space for us to change the things that are within our control. And I really want to make this point. If you have been following the the, the conversation about teacher attrition and teacher burnout and, and NAPLAN online and all that other stuff that's going on in the kind of in the zeitgeist at the moment in Australia about teaching. And if you want to do something about that, you've got to be well to, you know, you've got to have the energy to actually make some of those changes. And if you're not looking after yourself well, then chances are you won't have the energy to do that. So really this whole process of examining the barriers to self-care and looking at your guilt and understanding the conditioning that has maybe um, had you feeling like you're not worthy of your own care and the limiting beliefs about what makes a good teacher and, and also the limiting beliefs about self-care, when you actually focus on those things and are able to then switch your focus to what you can do and all that you are and you are enough, it opens up space to change some of those things that are within your control. The second last point is to embrace your guilt. Now, this sounds really weird, but it's important. Befriend it. I've heard Katrina Burke talk about this and she says that you've got to name it to tame it. It's that same point of if you're not paying attention to know that you're even feeling this emotion in the first place, how can you possibly do anything about it? Because you're just going to be reacting, completely unconsciously reacting from this place of unpleasant emotion. Whereas when you can stop, name it, then you're able to tame it. And then my next step is always to reframe it. Pay attention to your guilt 
open a conversation with it. Do some journaling or talk to a, a trusted friend about it or get a coach and talk about it and allow that conversation with your guilt to lead you to the places where you are angry that your needs are not being met and then you can do something about that to meet your own needs. It's uncomfortable but it is so worth it. And of course the last point and this is really important if you want to if you want to have a thriving life, then you need to be kind to yourself. And when you're doing this process of examining your guilt, befriending it, naming it, acknowledging all the places you feel resentful, acknowledging all the times where you may have had messages that told you that you were not enough, even though you are, it's hard. It's, it can be very painful work. And I, I really want to encourage you to, to approach it with self-compassion because you are a human Therefore, you have feelings and they are not weak. It is not weak to feel those feelings. And this process of overcoming your guilt, it is a practice. It is not a one and done thing. It's like the laundry. <laughs> there will always be more layers of this. And unlike the laundry, you can't outsource it. You can't pay somebody else to do it for you. Only you can do this for yourself. But it will be so worth it because overcoming your guilt embracing it, befriending it, understanding it, it really opens up space for you to improve your self-care and then improve your well-being and improve your life. And of course, that's what I want for all of you. So I hope those tips are helpful. I hope that you can use at least one of these ways to just stop the self-care guilt in its tracks, get off that bandwagon, stop going on guilt trips and... Uh, and you'll be able to really enjoy your self-care. As always, remember you are a person first and a teacher second and you are worthy of your own care. See you later. Thanks for listening to the Teacher Wellbeing Podcast. If you've enjoyed it, go ahead and subscribe in your chosen podcast player so you don't miss an episode. I'd love it also if you would leave a rating and review in iTunes and share it with your friends. This really helps the podcast reach more people and together we can spread the message of teacher wellbeing to create thriving school communities. Show notes for this episode can be found at selfcareforteachers.com.au forward slash podcast. You can also find me at facebook.com forward slash selfcareforteachers and on Instagram my handle is at selfcareforteachers. So come along and follow me there. 